have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. What's going on, good people, and welcome to Bible School. I'm Reverend Kojo. I'm really excited that you tuned in. Well, today we are in Revelation 7. Now, I um, I think it's important to note that last week, we or last time we were in Revelation 6, and when we were in Revelation 6, we talked, we un, they unloosed six of the seven seals. Today we're in Revelation 7, and I think we need to take a moment to recognize this interesting trend that seems to happen throughout the book of Revelation. We need to notice that when, when there's a list of seven, there seems to be a tangent that John or God or whoever's talking takes between items six and seven. Um, you know, there, <laughs> there's, there's this tangent that he takes in, in this unloosing of the seals when they talk about the seven churches. There's a tangent. Um, in between such, there seems to be like this sidebar that we take. And, and that's what Revelation 7 is. It's a tangent of sorts. Uh, last time we got really heavy and we started talking about the, the, um, what we call the 70th week of da Daniel or the seven years of tribulation. We started talking about all of those things. But what was interesting to me, most of all, is that when we look at it, what we end up seeing um, is there's something phenomenal that happens in between year six and year seven or week six and week seven, however you want to look at it. Uh, there's 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 something that happens uh, that's going to kind of blow you away. And we're going to talk about it later in this chapter. But before we can talk about that, I think that we have to kind of realize that Israel is not done. I know I've said that several times during this during this this study. And I've been trying to disprove this, this thought or this heresy or this blasphemy that uh, God is a liar and that he does not keep his promises to Israel and his people. Uh, but I think Revelation 7 is a wonderful example that he's not a liar and that he tells the truth and that, that he's not forgotten Israel, that there was a full uh, plan to bring in the fullness of the Gentiles, but the fullness of the Jews as well. Um, and so when we look at this, as we dive into this, I, 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 like I, I think I said last week, we are into the depth of Revelation. We are into the hairy pieces and it, <laughs> things are things are getting real. You know, it was interesting while we were spending time talking about the seven letters, seven churches. It was kind of deep. It was kind of fun. Uh, we could relate it back to ourselves. But now we're really into the, th the thick of things, the things that um, a lot of people stay up at night and the reasons that people are afraid to read uh, the book of Revelation. We're here. Uh, today, I think I'm more of a fan of, of chapter seven than I am of chapter six, chapter six. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> uh, when, before I ever read the book of revelation, because there was a long time that I had believed to be called into ministry that I refused to read the book of revelation. I was afraid of it. And I was afraid of it because one day in youth church as a child, uh, we had, we had a very unofficial youth church, uh, every now and then those of us who were too old to be in the nursery would sneak back to the nursery and the whole youth department would be in the nursery and we would overrun it uh, because we didn't want to be in church yet. We were terrible. Um, but we happened to end up watching the left behind one, on one of those Sundays. And as we were sitting there watching the left behind, uh, it's, it shook so many of us so bad that a lot of kids who I guess were on the fence with about Jesus, uh, got off the fence and got hot. Um, and others of us, uh, myself included, uh, was afraid of Revelation. And I probably went 10 years without ever cracking the book. I read, I, I mean, I read the other 65 chapters. I studied, I taught, and I, I was kind of a, a prodigy of sorts. I was a little kid who, who understood the Bible um, and was afforded opportunities to teach my peers and to be before the church every now and then for what they call sermonettes. Uh, but I never dipped into the book of Revelation in my private time or in my study time. I was I was just not a Revelation kid. Well, we're in the thick of the reason why I avoided the book of Revelation for much of my, my childhood. Um, but I think Revelation 7 is the good news to what happened in Revelation 6. 
Um, and and I'm, I'm going to set some backdrop. And so we're going to start somewhere else other than Revelation 7 to get us to Revelation 7 to make it make a little bit, excuse me, more sense. But I will say this, that if you, you don't want to take too much space between these chapters. So I know a lot of you um, in the past when I was, I've been doing the Revelation study and I know I've recently just picked it up. I was releasing them every week. I think it's going to be more important that you you don't put a lot of space in between you studying Revelation 6 and 7 or you studying 5 and 6 or you studying 7 and 8 or you studying 8 and 9 because a lot of these answer themselves. They're a continuation. The chapteral um, divisions are just for the sake of printing. They're not for the sake of storyline. And so it's really important that you take this 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 whole prophecy and you string it together because you'll notice um that a lot of the things that are said here in seven are, are directly related to what happened in six. And a lot that was said in six is directly related to what happened in five. And a lot of what happened in five is directly related to what happened in four. And if you miss some of the semantics, it's not going to make as much sense as if you, you kind of do this study really close together and you do it kind of carefully. All of that said, let's dig into the study for today. Okay. I want you to kind of think about today, uh, that in the Old Testament, Israel was the centerpiece. Um, in the in the Old Testament, the centerpiece was clearly Israel. There was no question about it. God was, he had a plan for Israel and Israel were his people. Okay. I want you to think about that. Now, I want you to think about it also in the New Testament. The, Israel is present in the New Testament, but they're not as central. Okay. Because they, re- they reject their Messiah. Now in the gospels, we see that most of the people who are following Jesus, most, not all, are people who are uh, are Jewish, um, and most of the people who reject him are Jewish. It seems to be set mostly in a Jewish context. Now, when we get to the letters after such, and the apostles take over, and Acts happens, and all of these things uh, take place, we start reading in Romans and in Hebrews. We we we're talking less. Well, in Hebrews, he is talking to the Hebrews, but we're talking less for the rest of the New Testament uh, to the Jews and more to the Gentile. Today, the Jews, they enter and they enter heavy. And I, I need you to understand how the church morphs from Judaism and the harm that Judaism did to the church and the harm that the, Ju- and the church did to Judaism and how God reconciles all of that. Okay. So think we're thinking today, we're back with Israel at the center. Okay. I want you to even think about modern day Israel. You know, Israel is, is a country that it doesn't have a whole lot of resources. It's not like well-located It's not, you know, it's not a gorgeous place. I mean, there are some things that are beautiful about it, but for the most part, it's nothing. It's not like the Maldives. You know, I would fight if I, there was an opportunity that I could own the Maldives, I would fight to get it. You know, there are, there's, there's land that I'm, I'm shopping for right now I would fight for it because it's, it's well located and it's beautiful and it's everything that I need. Israel is not that, you know, the, the piece of land is not that, but yet it's at the center, like the middle, it's at the center of world conflict, all these wars. And it's been at the center of world conflict since the beginning. I mean, the beginning since Isaac and Ishmael, it's been at the center and they've been fighting and going at it for all this time, but it's at the middle. And so you have to say that there's got to be some supernatural um, work at play to understand why everybody is so concerned with Israel. They're not big. They're not powerful. There's the only thing that they have is that they are the chosen people of God and whether people will acknowledge that in the flesh, it is definitely acknowledged in the spirit. Okay. Now I, we need to talk about this and I know I've, I've vaguely mentioned it over various podcasts, but there is this idea that the church replaces Israel. Okay. And it's called replacement theology. Now, We'll, we'll see that that's not the truth. And and today I think that's going to be our main focus. We're going to see all of those good things. Now I want you to notice this. Okay. So in replacement theology, they deal with this thing where they are convinced that, um, that the church replaces the Jews because they were, they rejected their Messiah. Okay. And I guess if you don't study Bible, that, that, that can be reasonable to you. And, and since that can be reason, reasonable to you, you can draw this conclusion. And, and in your drawing conclusion, uh, here's the truth. Let me just say this. God is not a man that he should lie. 
And since God is not a man that he should lie, I need us to understand that because he's not a man that he should lie, we've got to go back and, and look at his track record. Now, I want you to notice this, that the Abrahamic uh, covenant was not about what Abraham did. It was about who God was. And so God made a promise to him because he was God. It was not conditional. It was unconditional. It didn't matter what he did. The Davidic covenant, when he spoke over David, the Davidic covenant, it was not about what David did. It was not about what David's descendants did. It was the fact that David David could, could screw up a thousand times. As a matter of fact, David did screw up. He, he not only is a murderer, but he's an adulterer. And really, if you study it, he's a rapist. And, and so, but he's, he's yet, the, the, the covenant is still his. The throne is still passed on to Solomon. The Palestinian covenant is he's he's still faithful. He's still faithful. The only covenant that we really see in the Old Testament that is that is conditional is the Mosaic covenant. And several times when they step out of it, they lose protection. When they step into it, God is faithful and He gives it back. So, but if you if you study Roman uh, Romans, which is Paul's definitive statement to the Christian doctrine, he spends three chapters explaining Israel's place in history. You can't really understand end time prophecy without Daniel 9 or the, the seventh week of Daniel. You can't really understand God's promises to his people. But I need you to understand that the church and the Jews are different, okay? And, and here's the thing, is in this idea of replacement theology, there is a trail of blood from Augustine to Auschwitz, okay? There's a, now, if you recall, back up with me. I want you to back up with me, and I want you to think. You remember when we talked back in Thyatira, um, one of the earlier podcasts. When we talked about Thyatira, you remember I told you that it was like the church had married the world. The church had married the world. In Pergamos, it became okay to be kind of sinful and idolatrous. But in Thyatira, the church married the world. And when the church married the world, it became... Um, it's socially acceptable and only accept the only way form of acceptability was to be a Christian. And it wasn't necessarily Christian. So when the church po became politically correct, it became okay to be a Christian and it later became the state religion. Okay. And a pr the problem happens is that the Roman emperors who Augustine and those around that time, well, they weren't okay with the idea that a king was going to come to free the people from their earthly rulers. You know, this idea that Jesus was going to come back into this millennial reign and he was going to unseat all of the kings and that he was going to be the king and he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And so what they did is the, the kings made the priests make Christianity comfortable. And so they amended uh, Christianity and they encouraged the priests to, to teach and to preach uh, in a way that allegorized the scriptures. And, and here's the deal. And so they said, the things that are happening in Revelation, that's not real. He's not going to be the king on a throne, but he's going to be the king of your heart. He's not going to be the Lord on a throne. He's going to be the Lord of your heart. And, you know, I know a lot of you have heard that because it's, it's been around. <laughs> but but he they allegorized the, the scripture and Augustine ran with it. He said, this is it. So, so under Augustine, they embraced a theology that was amillennial. So in, 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 in other words, when they said it was all millennial, that the millennial reign would not necessarily happen, but that it would, it was an allegory. And so that, uh, Jesus was, was always reigning and these things have already happened. And we're after the millennial reign and, and, and you just missed it. You weren't around during that period. And so we, when we begin to, to strip the scriptures of authority like that, we begin to fall into what I call the Lord, Lord trap. You remember in Matthew 7, 23 through 20, uh, 21 through 23, he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the father is in, in heaven. Many will say to, him, to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. You remember uh, in Luke 9, 35, where he says, a voice came out in out of the clouds saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Okay. So we fall into that Lord, Lord trap where we're calling on the Lord, but because we, we've stripped the scriptures of his power, um, we're not really trusting him. Because if you, if you don't recall, um, if you don't recall that scripture also says that, that my sheep hear my voice and they come following me. Do you remember um, that in the beginning was the word and the word was God. The only thing, you know, do you remember that the only thing that's above his name is his word? So when we take the word and we say that it has no power, we're stripping the scriptures of his power. When we strip the scriptures of the power. We're not following God. 
We are in name, but not in action. We cl- we're wearing the mask, but we're not living the life. And that's not, that's not authenticity. Now, and, and I want you to see this because all Augustine's theology stuck around for a thousand years and people hold on to it today. I mean, people hold fast to this theology. There are so many huge churches. I mean, really big churches, really progressive churches, that this is what they teach is that, that he's not going to split the sky. That there's not going to be a real war. This world is, the war is just spiritual. Yes, the war is spiritual, but the war is how going to happen. It's going to happen on earth and earth is real. Like earth is, 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 is tangible. And so when he starts talking about the things that he does and he's throwing things down to the earth, those things are going to happen. When you talk about falling stars, those things are going to happen. And I know that sounds crazy because many of the stars are bigger than earth, which tells us it's going to be doomsday. But I want you to also see this is, is after Augustine did, did this, and you know, of course, this is the day when the Catholic church was the only church after Augustine did this, um, you know, the reformation happened and the reformation, which did wonderful things for the gospel. You know, it taught people to, to believe in Christ alone and you didn't have to go talk to a priest. You didn't have to make confession to people, um, that it, it, that the reformation, it did wonderful things, but it didn't go far enough. You know, it didn't examine the eschatology portion of the Bible. It didn't, it didn't touch into, um, end time prophecy. It didn't, it didn't touch the things that it needed to, which is why so many churches still have an amillennial, um, theology or an amillennial idea that there's not going to be a reign on a literal throne. And this view of the word, which says that suggested the Bible wrote it, God had it written in the word for his health which we know that every word that is written in these 66 books by these 40 authors over thousands of years, these things have been written for our benefit. These things weren't written for the health of God. These things were written for our benefit. And if we were to take the power or the authority from it and we miss what he's saying, what's the point? Why would he write 20 something chapters on what's going to happen? And if it's not going to happen anyway, let's move on. But I want you to see this even further is that replacement theology led to the Holocaust. You know, the Holocaust, the thing where they killed the 7 million Jews and several others. Um, and unfortunately, it was, it's, it's just birth pains of what's going to come in the end time. And, and you know, but, but see, out of the same replacement theology, the Holocaust happened. World War II happened. Out of the same th- theology, the Crusades were birthed out of this theology. The blood libel host was birthed out of this uh, theology. The Jews became the scapegoat for the black death, like a plague, y'all. <laughs> it's, it's so many things were birthed out of, the, you know, this theology. And, you know, sometimes Christians, we get spooky and we get stupid. I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't really, we don't. So when somebody tells us what the truth is and, and we run with it because it soothes our fears. It soothes what we think. It soothes, it soothes all kind of craziness. It, you know, it's fueling this neo-Nazi movement happening in America. That and the Mexicans and the black folks, you know, it's fueling this, these, this idea that, that somebody is to blame for all of this. And I think what's tragic about all of it is that the Christians lost the view of our, our heritage. Okay. And I I know a lot of times you hear me say that we're not Jewish Christians, we're Gentile Christians, but here's the truth is that in Christ, there is neither Jew Jew nor Gentile. And remember that although most of us are not in the bloodline of the Jews, that we are joint heirs with Christ, that we are king and priest. We reign and rule with Jesus. And so there is history and there's heritage there, but by demonizing such a Jew, which many Christians do, especially throughout Europe, um, we miss the heritage. So we miss the things that, that were meant to be of value that we could, we could hold fast to because we miss it. And, 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 and here's the truth for, for the sake of your study. Many Christians, we don't under, fully understand the New Testament because we don't have such light knowledge of the Old Testament because we often believe that we are not subject to Jewish law. And while we aren't, we are, we, but to fully understand, we need to understand the family that we've been engrafted into. We're joint heirs. We've been adopted into the family. Well, how could you be adopted into a family, but you know nothing about the family? Nobody teaches you anything about the family because you demonized the other part of the family. Now, from Genesis 12 on, the biblical message focuses on four covenants that he commits to Abraham, not the Mosaic. The idea that God has abandoned Israel is blasphemous because that would suggest that God does not keep his promises. And we know that's not true. Plus, it would nullify that all we know about God 
Now, in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, there are seven promises there. And the Lord said to Abram, and this is what he said. He said, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. That's one. I will bless you too. I will make your name great. Three. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Now, hold on to this. This is verse three. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. Okay? And all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Those who curse the seed of under Abraham undergo curse. Those who bless such are blessed. Think about the fall of Rome, the embarrassment, the fall of Nazi Germany, the constant go around with Nazi Germany, the, the, the neo-Nazis. Think about all these people. Think about all the chaos that's going on in the Middle East. All these people, the Bible has not lied. There's a covenant in Genesis. This is before it, you know, this is, this is before the subdivisions this is before anything. He says, those who I bless, who bless you, I'll bless. And them who curse you, I will curse. I need it. And, and that's, that's what we got to hold on to, right? We have to hold on to the fact that we see this trail of blood that was birthed out of a heresy. Okay. It was birthed out of heresy. And I'm about to prove it to you. We're about to jump into Revelation 7. I'm about to prove it to you that he's not forgotten about them and that there is a special place for the Christian and a special place for the Jew. Um, it's the truth. It's, 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 the, it's the truth. Okay. Revelation 7. This is why y'all are here. I know, I know, I know. Revelation 7. And he says, after these things, I saw four angels on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth and the, and the winds that should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Okay. But before anybody sends me an email or has something to say, let me make sure that you understand the four corners on the earth does not suggest that the earth is flat. <laughs> it does not suggest that the earth is flat, but this is just jargon that we use to express that he said you to cover the entire earth. Now, I want you to think about this, that these winds are winds of judgment. Uh, the wind is also comes from the Jewish ruach, uh, which means spirit. So the spirit of judgment, though, you know, this, this, the winds, they're holding the, the judgment of the earth. The spirit of judgment is over the earth. Okay. Then I want you to think about the earth. The earth is a type of Israel. The sea is like, is a type of the Gentiles a, and, and the trees are often used as the in, individual. Um, the best way I can, I can tell you to relate back to that is go to Psalm one. Go to Psalm 1, he says, I have you like trees planted by waters. Or you can go to Daniel 4 with Nebuchadnezzar, uh, where Nebuchadnezzar is being shot down there. They're hitting the trees. Or, or you go to Judges 9, that gives you a very um, clear explanation of when we see trees in allegory. Trees usually mean um, they're like an individual person. All right, let's move on. Verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice of the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God in their foreheads. Okay, before I deal with that, let's go to Ezekiel 9. Ezekiel 9. Um, when we get to Ezekiel 9, I want you to go to verse 4. When we get to verse 4, uh, we find these words. He says, And the Lord said unto him, Grow through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark on the foreheads of the men at that sight, and cry for all the abominations that, that, that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others, he said in mine hearing, go after him throughout the city, and smite, let your eyes spare, neither ye have you pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. I want you to see this. Those who belong to God are protected. He knows, but this mark is a declaration to the rest of mankind. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a declaration to the rest of, uh, not even mankind, but also to all the spirits and powers and principalities. That when the mark is sealed on the forehead of God's children, um, that they are protected, they are hidden in the secret place of the Most High. Now, even though they're they're in the middle of chaos, okay. And then I also want you to, to weigh this in contrast to the mark of the beast. Now, the mark of the beast, which is Satan's counterfeit of what God has already marked His people with. I remember last time. This is why I said you, you need to really be studying these closely and in tandem. You remember last last time, um, last time we 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 talked about. Um, we talked about the first seal. When the first seal came open, there's this rider that came out. And if you're not, you don't read carefully, you'll think that that rider was Jesus. But that rider, we believe, is the Antichrist because he tries so hard to look like Christ. 
He tries so hard to deceive people into thinking that he's the way, the truth, and the life, but he's not. So I want you to notice that here, God is marking his people, and they're in the middle of tribulation. God is marking his people, and as he's marking his people, Satan's going to come back in Revelation 13, and he's going to mark his people. And so he, he wants you to think that you're receiving the mark of, of Jesus, but you could be receiving the mark of Satan. So that's, that's why it's so important to know the difference. Watch the characteristics. Ask yourself, what are we doing? What is our goal? Where are we headed? Because you can easily be tricked into thinking you're doing something good and it'd be definitely moving the calls and purpose of Satan forward. Now, I want you also to think about the mark. A lot of us like to think about barcodes and technology. And, and I want you to consider this. That here that the mark you receive is not about a number to identify you, but it's rather to identify the mark or unify the, the uniform of the side by which you belong to. And so I know a lot of us get nervous. We start talking about phones with trackers and the phones are listening and the computers are listening. We want to talk about these barcodes. They're trying to put chips inside of people for healthcare reasons. Yeah, we're not happening. Well, not with me. Um, you know, we talk about all these things they're trying to do. They're trying to move these things forward. The more I think about it, and I used to think that the chips would probably be the mark of the beast, but the more I think about it, those, the mark per se, I believe won't be a chip that identifies you. I don't think it'll be a barcode that identifies you. I think that whatever the mark of the beast is, I think it's going to be an identifier of the side that you're on because right here, he's marking those who are his. He's not identifying all of mankind. He's marking those who are his. In Revelation 13, Satan is marking those that are his. He's causing them to have something to unify which team they're on. It's kind of like a basketball jersey or a military uniform. We all are in the same thing so that I can identify who you belong to. Now, here in Ezekiel 9 and here in Revelation 7, we see that this seal is protection. Okay, And I want you to, when we get to Revelation 13, Satan is going to bill it. Like his is protection. He's going to make it seem as though that what you're getting is protection, but that's not the case. But I want you to notice that here, this seal we're talking about in Ezekiel 9, the seal that we're talking about in Revelation 4 is a seal of protection, is a, is a keeping mechanism. Now, we're in the middle of, a, of, of trial. We're in the middle of tribulation. But but we see that this seal is is a protection for, for, the, uh, for, the, for those who receive uh, Christ. Uh, this is, this is for, now remember they're in tribulation. The people we're talking about here are left on earth and they're receiving Christ in the middle of tribulation. Can you imagine how hard that'd be? Antichrist is ruling the world. He's not even just ruling a country. He's ruling the world. There's nowhere to go. And these people are finding Jesus. Wow. All right, let's move on. Verse four. And I heard the number of them, which were sealed. And there, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. All right, run to Galatians. Galatians 3, 27, 28, very common scripture. It says, for many of you have been baptized by Christ and, and have put on Christ. Neither is, uh, but there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor bond nor free, nor male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ. Here's another hint. That's another hint. Uh, that this is post-church. Because those who are in Christ are neither Jew nor Gentile. And the era we are talking about, we're talking about the Jews, okay? Uh, and we're, I'm about to show you we're talking about the Jews. Now, where we're about to go, I want you to notice that the number 12 and the number 12 squared, 144, are about to prove to be very prominent from here on out. Now, you know there are 12 tribes, kind of, sort of. I'm going to deal with that in a second. <laughs> 12 tribes. Um, and it does, they we're about to deal with this number, 144,000, and all of that stuff. Now, let's deal with a myth. Because we're about to deal with this for a second. Because uh, I know that most, most of you have probably had a Jehovah's Witness knock on your door. Uh, let's deal with this myth. There, There's this myth. Now, I've been talking about this replacement theology. There's a myth based on British Israelism. Uh, it doesn't have much biblical basis now. That the notion is that, the no, um, that, that, that after the Civil War, after Solomon's reign, uh, that there were 12 tribes that remained faithful to God in the Southern Kingdom. Two tribes, I apologize. Two tribes that remained faithful. Um, during, in the southern kingdom and they survived the other 10 in the northern kingdom and were wiped out from history the problem is that there's not a biblical basis for this and i'm going to show you why now on the day of pentecost all 12 tribes were, were present if they had been wiped out in the old testament at solomon 
there wouldn't there there definitely wouldn't be anybody from the twelve tribes. But all twelve tribes were pri- present. Uh, James and First Peter speaks to the twelve tribes. Now, I also want you to notice this: the land was proportioned to the twelve tribes, and from that day it was referenced uh, by their tribal names. Now, I want you to understand this too, because this is this is going to be important eventually. Um, now, the twelve tribes when they got land in in the promised land, um, there if you're if you're in the air area called Dan. It's not necessarily, you're not necessarily where the tribe is now, but that's the area that was given to the, the tribe, Dan. Kind of like if I went to Birmingham, um, and I'm in Birmingham, and I say that I'm going to go to the East Lake area. Um, it may not be the original people who lived in East Lake, but it's the area that I'm in. If I'm in Birmingham uh, versus being in Orange Beach, Alabama, uh, we're all in Alabama, but, but there's a difference between being in Birmingham and being in Orange Beach, just like there's a difference between being in Birmingham or in Montgomery. Or there's a difference between being um, uh, in the Pacific Northwest and uh, the East Coast. There's 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 a difference, and so um, while these areas were named after the tribe that it was given to, the, usually when you're you're we're talking we're talking geography and not always lineage. Now sometimes we're talking lineage, and we're really about to talk lineage, but I do want to break that down and give you this idea because this is what happened. Uh, what what often happen is that the Assyrians, as a practice of repopulation, so when what this this what this is built off of, is this theology um, that you know in the civil war they broke off into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom Israel did, and to the south went two tribes and they remained faithful to God, and to the north there were ten tribes that did not remain faithful to God. Oh, excuse me. The ten tribes that went up north were conquered by the Assyrians. And what the Assyrians, their custom was, they had this practice of repopulation that they worked out. And when, when we start talking about their 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 repopulation, they would take some of their captives and co-mingle them into other pieces of the dynasty to break down nationalism. So if they conquered Israel and they conquered uh, a piece of Egypt, and I'm just spitting, this is not like history, right? But if they were, they would take some some Israelites and they would commingle them with, with Egyptians. And then maybe if they conquered some folks in Ethiopia, where they, they would take some Ethiopians and they would plant them into the Dan portion of Israel. And they would commingle them so that people didn't care about um, their family breakdowns. And what would happen is, is that they would break down these family ties. And specifically in the northern kingdom, where they believe that, th- that this didn't happen but didn't have biblical basis. Um, in the northern kingdom, we find that this is where the Samaritans come from. Okay, um, because the capital of the northern kingdom under Jeroboam, it was Samaria. And so this new breed of babies that came in that area, they began to call Samaritans because they were, you know, um, this is going to sound really bad, mutt babies. Uh, uh, and I don't I don't mean that racially. Well, I do mean it racially, but not like in a racist way. But they were they were mixed. And so there was no uh, sense of nationalism because these babies had different moms and dads and mom and dad came from different places. OK, now I want you to notice this. In 2 Chronicles eleven thirteen, and the priests and the Levites that were in all of Israel resorted to him out of all of their coast. And for the Levites had left their suburbs and their possession, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had cast them off, executing the priest office unto the Lord. And he ordained him priests for high places, and for devils, and for the calves which he made. And after them, out of all the tribes of Israel, such as they set their hearts to seek the Lord their God of Israel, came to Jerusalem to sacrifice unto the Lord their God their fathers. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong three years. For three years they walked in the way of David and of Solomon. Now this is what I want you to see. They are under Jeroboam. The Samaritans have been created, but many of those who are not okay with this co-mingling, they're not okay with the fact that uh, Jeroboam, who was ruling Assyria at the time, is saying that it is illegal to worship God. They can worship any of the the, the golden calves, all the stuff that that they were that was not okay with God. Because you know the first commandment is you should worship the Lord thy God with all your heart, all about it. So you you know you worship God. You're not to have anybody before God, right? And so he when he outlaws worship to God, the Jews, especially the Levites or the priests, you know that's their line. They get uncomfortable and they start moving south. They start going back to the southern kingdom because they're not comfortable with worshiping other things because they have a relationship with God. And when they do so, some from all of the tribes, even those who are native to the north, begin to move to the southern kingdom. And when they move to the southern kingdom, they strengthen it. Okay. 
Now, I want you to remember this. Remember, the reason they split was because of civil war. They couldn't agree, but what they couldn't solve in their own right, they ironed out when they decided to worship God. This is this is a moment for you to receive some work because, because I know we're studying the text, but I want you to see that the text always speaks um, that that when the Jews, and this, this can read to you because in Christ there is no Jew nor Gentile, Gentile but with, when the Jews decided to put their petty differences aside, and they decided to worship because they believed that God was real and he was true and they were not going to pimp out themselves. When they decided to do that, their, com- their country grew strong. It seemed smaller, but now it was stronger because they all were worshiping on one accord. Man, if our countries, if our churches could get that memo, if we would just worship, forget about this petty mess and forget about being right, forget about all this stuff. If we would decide to worship the Lord our God in spirit and in truth. All of the other stuff will be strengthened. Now this, 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 but this also stands, of course, I was trying to build my case, but I wanted you to see that too. Uh, this also stands the truth is that the 10 tribes weren't lost. They weren't lost. Uh, and now would you also think about this when Hezekiah was king and he issues a call to Judah to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem, all 12 tribes come and the tip off to the fact that the 10 tribes is not lost is that it always seems to lead to anti-Semitism. This idea that 10 tribes have been lost and there are two only that, that, that remain, it always, that theology always leads to anti-Semitism. It led to the Holocaust. It led to the Crusades. It led to war after war after war. And stuff that leads to chaos is not God. Period. All right, let's move on. And here it enters Jerusalem. Chapter verse five, verse five. He says, of the tribe of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed 12,000. Of, well, notice that Judah was first. Of the tribe of Asher were, were sealed uh, 12,000. Of the tribe of Nephilim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were, were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun was sealed 12,000, and of the tribe of Joseph was sealed 12,000, and of the tribe of Benjamin was sealed 12,000. Now I want you to notice there are 12 tribes mentioned 20 times in scripture, each time in a different order, and each time in a different complexion, okay? It's also interesting to me that every now and then there are some tribes that are missing. Now, we ask the question, how could there be 12 tribes? <laughs> and, 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 and he still can list 12 tribes and somebody get left out. Um, because, but I also, cause I want you to notice when there are military orders and that they, when Israel is at war, Levi, the, the, um, the, the tribe of the priest is exempt from military duty. They don't go to war and that could be confusing because you, you're like, how does that happen? But I need you to understand this, uh, because there aren't really 12 tribes. There are kind of sort of 13, kind of sort of, kind of sort of there's 12, but it's 13. And let, let me explain to you what that, how, so when you mention the 12, uh, when you need to mention 12, you mention Joseph. But when you need to exclude exclude Levi, you go to Joseph's sons, and you you mention the tribe of Ephraim, and you mention the tribe of Manasseh. Okay. Now I want you to remember how is this how is this biblical how is this how how do how do we get this how do we know that this is true how do we know that this is biblically outlined? Remember when Jacob finally comes to Egypt, he blesses Joseph's sons. You know Joseph's been prime minister. He sends for his brothers. They come. They get scared. Then they say he sends for his dad. When he sends for his dad, um. When, when his dad comes, his dad blesses his sons, but he, in the Jewish tradition, adopts Joseph's sons, Joseph, his son, as his own sons. So while they're his grandchildren, he's adopted them as his own, kind of in a weird little tango. Now, so you mentioned, so when we have Levi, Levi, we mention Ephraim and Manasseh. When we don't Levi, 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 we, we mention, um, just Joseph and that combines Ephraim and Manasseh because technically they are both Joseph. All right. Now I also think it's interesting to mention that Manasseh is mentioned here, but Ephraim is absent, but it really doesn't matter because Joseph is also mentioned, which is kind of off because why would you mention Manasseh and then mention, mention Joseph and he's present. That's kind of strange here in this text, you know, and it's kind of something you have to wrestle with when you're looking at it. But trust me, it's all in this by supernatural engineering, but even more interesting than the fact that he doesn't mention Ephraim, but he mentions Manassas, but he mentions Joseph, but Levi is present, is the more interesting fact that the tribe of Dan is missing. Okay? 
Turn with me to Deuteronomy 29. When you get to Deuteronomy 29, I want you to notice these words. It says, uh, we're going to start at verse 15, and it says, But with him that standeth here with us uh, this day before our Lord, the Lord our God, and also with him that is not here with us this day. For you know that you have dwelt in the land of Egypt, and how we come through the nations which we pass by. And you have seen their abominations, their idols, their wood, their stone, silver and gold, which were among them. Lest there be it among you, man or woman or tribe, family or tribe, whose heart turneth away from the Lord our God, to serve, to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. And it shall come to pass, and he heareth the words of, of his curse, and he that bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine heart, and add drunkenness to thirst. The Lord will not spare him, but then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man. And all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him. And the Lord shall blot out his name and from under heaven. And the Lord shall separate him out unto eat, shall separate him unto evil out of all the tribes of Israel, according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. All right. The Lord shall separate him out. Separate him unto out of the tribes of Israel according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in the book of the law. Dan is known for idolatry, and you can kind of look that up in Levitic, Leviticus 24 10 through 16, Judges 18 1 through 2, and 30 through 31. And Dan is the leader of the apostasy. It happens again a hundred years later in Second uh, Kings 10. And then it was prophesied in 49. Jacob decides to prophesy over each of the ten tribes. He, he prophesies all over his children before his end. Genesis 49, 17, he says, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path, that biteth the horse heels so that the rider shall fall backward. Now, can y'all imagine? Can we can just for more for a second? You're standing there. Your dad is handing out... Um, his lineage to everybody. It's 12 of y'all and, and y'all are standing around his bed. And he says to you, you know, Benjamin, he said great things about Benjamin and he said great things about Joseph. And he's just, you know, he said all these wonderful things about his folk. And he gets to you and your name is Dan. <laughs> and he says, Dan, boy, you ain't no good. You are like a snake, you serpent, an adder in my path. You bite horse heels, and you're going to make folks fall. Man, can you imagine the rebuke? The rebuke! But this prophecy that was in Genesis. This is why I love Revelation. Revelation makes you dig into the rest of the Bible. This prophecy that was in Revelation, that was in Genesis, obviously is being fulfilled here in Revelation. Okay? Now, there is a belief that uh, the Antichrist will emerge out of the tribe of Dan. And that's why we believe that Dan is absent. Now, in Jeremiah 4.14 and Amos 8.14, in Hebrew, is mentioned that he's the voice of calamity. In Judges 5.17, he's made guilty of cowardice. And even more interesting is that Dan is not completely wiped out. Okay, so Ezekiel 48 is, we can pair with Revelation, is still end time prophecy. Um, Ezekiel 48, when the tribes are redistributed in the land of millennial, millennium, which is coming, and we're going to deal with that in a little bit, Dan is the first to receive land. So Dan survives. He's going to survive the tribulation. He's going to make it, but he's not going to make it by the supernatural protection that these other 12 tribes, or really 11, but 12 tribes are receiving. But there, the, you know, there's a throne that is protected through the, the tribulation, uh, which different those who were removed from before. Now, this is what I, I need you to notice. The people we're dealing with, we're dealing with three groups, okay? In Revelation 2 and 3, we dealt with the church as we know it. As we dealt with the church, the church and their salvation, they're in heaven, okay? The groups, the two groups we're about to deal with right now, we're about to, we're about to shift into those verses right now. We're dealing with a group of Jews, 144,000. We're dealing with a a group of Jews. And then the group that's going to come after the Jews that we just read, 
is the fruit of the Jews. So the Jews realizing, boy, we we missed the mark. We rejected our Messiah. And the things that were, mm, God, this is good. The things that were per, that were said in the Old Testament that were concealed, these are the things that we, we need to understand that God, we missed God. It says we missed God. Now, I know a lot of you are probably sitting there thinking because we are Christian, we have the entire canon of scripture that, well, how do they know that? Because they rejected the Messiah. So it's not like they studied the Bible. Um, like I just, I read to you, Ezekiel 48, um, gives us prophecy. Genesis 49 gives us prophecy. Daniel gives us prophecy. All of the things that are revealed here in revelation are already foretold in, in, in all of these other old Testament books. They're just made more clear. And though you're probably reading revelation, you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Reverend Kojo talking about clear, but they're, they're, they're the more word, the more living, the more Jesus happened, the more we can connect them. And, and I believe that we are uniquely blessed and uniquely gifted that we can reach into uh, the scriptures and we can reach back and understand them better by studying the entire canon of scripture. But, but a Jew would have gone to Jew school and they would have had to understand the prophecy of old Testament. Um, and if they would have an open heart, I believe that God would make it clear and make it plain to them. So I do want you to understand that we are dealing with three different groups today. We're dealing with two of them and the church is not one of them. And I want, I want to make that very clear that the people we just read about, because you might, you know, some Jehovah's Witness might knock on your door and say they're one of the 144,000. Um, <laughs> and, and, and if somebody knocks on your door and they say that they're part of the 144,000 and they admonish you to become part of such, such I, I would admonish you to ask them, what tribe do you belong to? <laughs> because I guarantee they can't tell you that. And, 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 and but I say a lot of us, you know, and not just to pick on the Jehovah's Witness, but because you could pick on the Christian too, uh, or, you know, the regular Christian. Um, and say, you know, we all have this desire to be different and special, you know, X, Y, Z. No, the 144,000 are the Jews. And then this is what I want to talk about. Okay. So I want you to, but, but let's talk about that. We're about to move on to verse nine. Okay. Verse nine. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all the nations and kindreds of people uh, and tongues stood before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. All right. Now this here we're dealing with is the greatest harvest of souls that the Bible speaks of. Period. Now, I want you to think, think for just a second. Go to Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49, verse 10. And it says, They shall hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor the sun smite them. For he hath mercy on them and shall lead them. Even by the springs of water shall he guide them. And I will make all my mountains and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from far and low, and from the north and from the west and from the land of Sinem, Isaiah 60, 1 through 3, just really quickly. Uh, he says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall come over the earth and gross darkness of the people. But the Lord shall rise upon them, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings of thy brightness of thy rising. Now, I, this, this we're talking about, this verse, verse 9 here. He's, he's, there are people when on earth in the middle of these tribulations and there's the antichrist running and there's all kind of chaos happening on the earth there, 144,000, um, who are sealed and in their sealing of being present on earth in the middle of this chaos they're they're protected, but their light is going to begin to shine. You know, they've been in darkness. They've been in unbelief, but at some point the light is going to go off and they're going to realize that, man, we missed God. Our ancestors taught us and we missed God, but no more. No more. Now, this is what I want you to see. It's, it's even more interesting than that to me in Joel 2.20, uh, 32. Um, in Joel 2.20, uh, 30 through 32, it's also quoted in Acts 2. Now, and this quote links this to the prophecy of the Great Tribulation. And this is why I'm going to read it to you because it's a little lengthy. Um, it says, but I will move from, I will move, remove far off from you uh, the northern army and drive him into the barren land and desolate. Uh, and his face toward the, oh, the east sea, and his hinder part toward the utmost sea, and the stink shall come up, and a little, and, and our savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and vine do yield their strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately, 
And he will cause to come down from you the rain, the former rain, the latter rain in the first month. And the floor shall be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with wine and oil. And the, and I will restore to you that the who I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you, and ye shall eat in plenty, and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, and have dealt wondrously with you. My people shall never be ashamed, and you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord shall come. And it shall come to pass and, the, and that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. And for in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said. And the remnant shall call. Now, I want you to see this. That which was poured out in Joel is started in Acts. Okay. Now notice, now notice, 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 that which is what is poured out in, in, in Joel is started in Acts. And so well, I want you to start thinking about this because last time we were talking about the wonders that he would show in the heavens and the earth, the blood, the fire, the pillars of smoke. Remember, the water turns to blood, uh, the fire, there's pillars of smoke, the, 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 the moon is turned to blood, and then there's a terrible day of the Lord. He's making prophecy. Okay, in Old Testament, he's saying what he's going to do, and they quote it in Acts, but I want you to see that it's happening in Revelation. Okay. It's happening in Revelation. And, and so all of these things he, he's prophesied. And so what, what I believe has happened is that the 144,000 that are sealed wake up one day and they realize what I've been reading is what I'm seeing. What I've been reading is, 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 is plain to me. And I see that I, we miss God. And because we miss God, we've got to run double, triple, and quadruple time to catch up. We've got to tell people, everybody that we know, we've got to move in such a way. And we've got to be the vessel of God that we failed to be for thousands of years because we missed him. And since we missed him, we've got to catch up. We've got to catch up. So it is my belief that that, that, that points us in the direction of where we're to go. Now, I also want you to notice notice this again. Um, in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, uh, it says they're clothed with white robes and palm, palms in their hands. Do you remember another occasion in the Bible <laughs> when people greeted Jesus with palms in their hands? Um, oh, now, I want you to think, because I'm, I'm trying to help you see this in perspective. Um, it's kind of like what happened on earth when he's walking into Jerusalem on the, on the donkey and they're re greeting him with palms in his hands and they, they're, they're paving a way for him to walk on and to trot. It's almost as if time has paused. Now you remember this, the, the moments that are happening here in, in heaven is all the same day per se, but there's not day and night in heaven, but all the stuff that's happening. Remember the lamb is before the throne. And as the lamb is before the throne, uh, worship breaks out. And, and so what they expected him to be, hmm, what they expected him to be on earth, he now makes manifest here with this group. Okay. It's, it's all the things that they expected then. It's like the, the clock just paused. And as the clock just paused, we, it's, it's, it's like he just pressed play again. Now we've seen thousands of years uh, that have passed between the two, but it's like he picks up and, and he gets the same folk. They're waving the palms and they're well welcoming him because he's about to reign on the throne. And as he's about to reign on the throne, they're giving him the same greeting that they gave him on earth. They just didn't understand that their timing was off. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, the palms, we're talking about Palm Sunday when he rode seven days before he was crucified into Jerusalem. And, and the people greeted him waving the palms, which was the custom that they would do for a king or for a, a warrior when he came back and he had defeated somebody because they were about to put him on the throne. They're about to make him their new king. And since they had decided they were going to make him their new king, that's how the people greeted Jesus because they just knew that Jesus was coming to take over and that he was about to reign on that throne. I think it's amazing how it's like the clock paused, which tells us that God is not a respecter of time because time is a construct that God has created. God made time. God is not subject to time. He made time so that we would not waste our time. 
He, he made it so that we would not become complacent and that we would always feel like there is so much more that we have to do. But I love it. It's just, just as, as if the clock is uh, paused. And then verse 10, he says, And I cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Now, think about the salvation to our God uh, who sits on the throne. That's the definition of, sal- of Hosanna. Verse 11, and, and all the angels stood around the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God. And he said, amen. he's saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto the God, be unto, uh, unto our God forever and ever. I want you to just wonder how many words they just used, how many uh, admonishments, you know, it was seven. Yeah, I don't even have to, you know, they have you to think. Verse 13, he says, and one of the elders answered saying unto me, what are these which are arrayed in white robes? Whence came they? John is being quizzed, but John didn't know the answer. So John, in verse 14, he says unto him, he says, Sir, thou knowest. <laughs> thou said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. He, you know, John didn't quite get it. And he makes you wonder the question, why does John not recognize this group? Because this isn't the church. These are they who that, that turn back in the time of the tribulation. Now, I want you to think back. No one in the seven letters to the seven churches sees themselves correctly. And so the church has this unique ceiling of the Holy Spirit. Now, imagine the world without the Holy Spirit restraining anything. Without the Holy Spirit restraining. Sin, sin is, we don't, we don't avoid sin by our own fruition. We, we avoid sin because the Holy Spirit abides with us. Okay, we, we avoid sin because the Holy Spirit says, no, nah, baby, we're not doing that. We're not going that direction today. And so imagine a world where the Holy Spirit isn't restraining thing, anything, anything. But that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit isn't on earth. And that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit isn't at work. It doesn't mean that he's not doing his job. What that just simply suggests is that the Holy Spirit is operating in a new fashion. He's not holding anything back. He's allowed uh, for the, 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 judge, the, the wrath to go on, but he's still moving so that people may come unto him. Come unto Christ. And so I believe, you know, we can, we can ascertain that the Holy Spirit is going to be more so at work like he was in the Old Testament and less so like he was in the New Testament. But he's going to be busy saving folk all over the world, making sure that those lights are so shining and making sure that people are receiving the gift to, to maintain what he uh, we give. Which also, you know, I want you to think about this. Another reason John probably didn't recognize him is because their predecessors are the elders who are already in heaven. Who knows? You know, that's just a, just a thought. Let's move on. Verse 15. Therefore, therefore, are they before the throne? They are, therefore, are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Now, we can suppose that this is the millennial temple because the heaven, there is no night. And we can confirm that in Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, verse 16, they shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst anymore, neither shall the sunlight on them. Ooh, what does that sound like? Sounds like we just read in Joel, right? Mm. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto the living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Sounds like the same expression we read in Isaiah 49 10, doesn't it? Okay. Really quickly, I want to think of this. I want to think, I want to think of this group. Uh, the fruits of the 144,000 and not of the 144,000 because, like I said earlier, those are two different groups. Um, one is the fruit um, of a group that is sealed that was under promise, and um, the next is a bonus because God is just that good. Um, this group, this this group, this fruit group, the group that comes after the 144,000, they came out of the tribulation. The church is seated on the throne because they're joint heirs with Christ and they rule with him, the 24 elders. Uh, these stand before the thrones um, and they reign. Um, the church reigns as king and priest. These are standing before the throne, okay? Uh, the, the church is crowned. This group is uncrowned. Um, now, I want you to I want you to see this because because this can help you understand what's happening in the news. Uh, there will be an event that will cause them to wake up and remember that God's hand is still present, Okay. Um, and I think that that's the key to what happens here in, in chapter seven, in between seal six and seal seven, is that something happens that the Jews wake up and they say, ooh, we messed up. And through them realizing that they messed up, when they turn back to God because they have such an anointing, such a promise that has been since the beginning of time, stamped on them. When it's stamped on them, God can turn their hearts. And in turning their hearts, he can turn so much of the world. Now, the Great Tribulation is nicknamed Jacob's Trouble because the purpose of the Great Tribulation yeah, is not really to, 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 
hurt people, even though people are, are sinful, but it's to wake up the Jews. Wake them up. It's the tribulation called Jacob's trouble because of the, the purpose is to wake up the Jews. And what a blessing it's going to be when they wake up, when they see the glory of God. And when they turn and other people get saved as a result. Can you just, I mean, come on. You wake up. And when you wake up, it's like, it's, it's, it's like Paul. When Paul wakes up, <laughs> when Paul wakes up, wonderful things happen. You know, the church, we, we get most of the Bible. He goes and he does so much missionary work. Because when he wakes up, not only does he have the knowledge of the history and the beauty of it, but now he has the vigor and the passion. And so these 144,000 produce more people than we can number. Boy, is that a blessing. Boy, is that a blessing. Well, that was chapter 7. Chapter 7. Get ready for chapter 8. Here it comes. I hope you've enjoyed uh, Bible school. Until next time, I'm Reverend Kojo.